Hello, Movie Marathoners, and welcome to episode 85 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week, hailing from the Heart Tribe, is Chris Harder from Alsacan TV. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining me again. Uh, I have you for a little bit longer this time, right? Last time it was only a quick 15-minute conversation on uh, Wild Indian, but now we're going to do a full marathon episode. You excited? Yes, yes. I'm extremely excited. Had a great time last time, so I'm really happy to be back. Well, as I said, this week the episode is a normal marathon episode, so it's going to feature a full-length review of Raya and the Last Dragon. So before heading to the start line, we'll warm up with some film news. Then we'll have the spoiler-free discussion of Raya and the Last Dragon. That'll be a little bit longer than our normal spoiler-free discussion, since I have a feeling that not a ton of people coughed up 30 bucks to see this one. <laughs> um, but hopefully after you hear us talk about it, you will. And then after that, we'll head into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And finally, we'll round out the episode with our point two section, where we discuss what else we've been watching. So let's start by warming up with some film news. So I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. There was not a lot of noisy film news this week, so I just said, screw it, we're going to talk Cocaine Bear, because <laughs> last Tuesday, it was announced that Elizabeth Banks would direct a film for Universal Studios that is, quote, a bear-centric film, or no, a bear-centric thriller. So I did a little bit of digging, and this is based on the story of Andrew Carter Thompson, who was a drug smuggler in 1985 from Tennessee, and he died while trying to jump out of a plane. And on his personnel, when they found his body, was $14 million worth of cocaine. <laughs> but that's not even the most interesting part of this story, as alluded to by the title. Um, the most interesting wrinkle of this story is that a couple months after Andrew Carter Thompson's body was discovered, a hunter found a bear in the nearby woods who had died from a cocaine overdose after attempting to eat roughly 75 pounds of cocaine that it had found <laughs> in a duffel bag. As one does. I mean... You know, if you find that as one does. Yes, of course, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, presumably this duffel bag is from the plane crash that Andrew Carter Thompson had attempted to parachute from. Um, I don't know how those two things are going to coalesce into a narrative film or have any sort of film structure, but they're going to try and do it. Chris, are you a bear centric film fan? <laughs> uh, how many bear centric movies are there? I mean, Revenant. Um, yeah, the Revenant. The Bear from Winnie the, 80s. the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Brother Bear. Brother Bear. That's all Man, I got. That's all I got too. Oh, uh, Brave. Brave has a bear. Actually, it's, it's got many bears. Yeah, but none of them are. Those aren't. Those aren't cocaine fueled bears. Right. That's the important uh, <laughs> difference here. Yeah. So, what do you think about this? I mean, it it sounds nuts. Obviously, um, do you think this is going to be bad nuts or good nuts? Uh, man, I think it's gotta be good nuts. I think like, this is one of those movies where it's just sold. It's sold in like two words, cocaine bear, right? That's all you have to do. <laughs> I mean, and then it's, it's like, it's both sold to executives who universal apparently was like, yes, I want in on the cocaine bear movie and also audiences. Cause it went around, it went around, you know, Twitter and everywhere else. And it was like, I think everybody was excited about cocaine bear. And I was sold. I, I was sucked into it for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with cocaine or bears. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's any downside to either of those two things. Definitely not. Right. So, right. Um, you know, as I said, Elizabeth Banks, she's directing. Gives me a little bit of pause because 
She directed Pitch Perfect 2, which I'm not a huge fan of, although I am quite a big fan of Pitch Perfect 1. And then right. she directed that Charlie's Angels reboot that was pretty bad. I had didn't even see it. I don't know. Did you check that one out? I Chris? did not. You know, I actually looked I looked up uh her filmography as a director and I had I don't know that I've seen anything that she's done. Um I hadn't seen uh Pitch Perfect 2. Big fan of one, like like you said. I liked one a lot. Um didn't see two, didn't see the Charlie's Angels reboot. Um, so I don't know. I, I think like, does that mean it's it's gonna be sort of like a funny, it's definitely like a funny take, right? Yeah, and that's the other thing. Um this is produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who, of course, right. you know, into the Spider-Verse, but also the Lego movie, 21 Jump Street. Some of my favorite movies are directed by them. Um, yeah. You know, it remains to be seen how involved they are in the production process. I know they were heavily involved in Into the Spider-Verse. So that that does give me some optimism here and that it's definitely going to be a funny story. Although right. it does seem that, you know, this guy who died in a parachute accident, that is somewhat tragic. So. <laughs> We'll see how they toe the line. But I do think that those two guys, they tend to do a really good job at making properties that shouldn't work, work absolutely. So Right. Yeah, we forgot we forgot one. Annihilation. The Annihilation Bear. Did you what? ever see Annihilation? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what are what the hell is Annihilation Bear? But Isn't that the what that bear in Annihilation. Yeah. yeah I thought, I thought that... you said the I thought you meant the title of the movie was Annihilation Bear. And I was like, No, I've never heard it of that. But... Been. That's the th- <laughs> it could have been. Because that was my favorite part of that movie. Do you think this cocaine bear will like have the screams of the damned in it or whatever? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's what happened when you eat an entire uh, bag of cocaine. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know. So <laughs> did he eat it? Did he snort it? I mean, I think he ate it. And, um, <laughs> you know, I read the uh, I, I cited a Rolling Stones article here that kind of gives you the true story details or whatever. And they said that he only actually consumed like three to four pounds or something of it, which is still a crap load of cocaine, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was enough to kill him, but all the cocaine was gone from the bag. So what happened to the other 70 ish pounds of cocaine that he didn't consume? Were there multiple bears that were just like, we're going to be a little more cautious here and take a little bit. And they all made it away. They just got really high and they ate all the other cocaine. (laughs) Maybe that bear just had self-control and he just like kept going back, you know, but he would like level off and go back. Yeah. He just, (laughs) he was, he was a very self-controlled. Oh, I see. So he like consumed it over the process of several months and then he just kind of flew too close to the sun at the very end and ate the last three to four pounds. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we will see. Um, this movie is coming out at some point. I did not bother to look up when, but I wouldn't imagine that it's anytime soon. It's not filming yet or anything. So I'm, I'm thinking sometime in 2022. But right. look out for Cocaine Bear coming to a theater near you, hopefully. And I have to just one last point on this. I have to imagine it's a CGI <laughs> bear. So this post-production is going to be intense. It's a CGI bear and they have to get the proper uh, inten- you know, intensity with a cocaine field bear. So <laughs> I, I hope it's a live action CGI bear. Cause I could also see this <laughs> as being some bat shit, uh, who framed Roger rabbit CGI live action mix. That would be kind of bizarre. Yes. I don't know who knows, but, um, you know, I mean, that's a good, uh, segue sort of, I'll, I'll try and segue it into here into our main <laughs> review because I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, we are talking about Raya and the last dragon and Ryan the Last Dragon, before giving the synopsis and everything, I'll just say it, it bombed at the box office, which is unfortunate. It, it, we live in a society, some might say, <laughs> where Raya makes 
$8.6 million in its opening weekend. The week after, Tom and Jerry makes $14 million. That's a bit disappointing. Um, At the box office. Yeah. Right? Is it? Yeah. Is the theater... Do you have the theaters up by chance? Like, is it theater equivalents? Like, how many... How many theaters did that did Raya open versus Tom and Jerry? That is a great question. Let me check that out. And we don't have to. It is. A, it is. It's definitely a consideration of like how many theaters did they open up into. Definitely, COVID pandemic. Everything is still a big factor when it comes to box office. Mm-hmm. Disney is definitely. You know, they they've said in all their shareholder, you know, quarterly meetings that releasing things on Disney plus and streaming is for them very much like their future and what they're going to move into. So, you know, that disappointing box office, I don't know if that, if that sort of like shows them that that's what they should be doing or what that example is. Yeah. So let's see. Raya opened in 2045 locations. Wow. That's a lot. Um, Tom and Jerry opened at 2,475. So slightly more. Right, slightly more, um, but you know that's still what almost a fifty percent increase or something like that. Right, it's it's pretty massive. That's that so math? strange. Was was it a marketing? Was it a marketing decision? Like I feel like, although I don't feel like I saw more marketing for Tom and Jerry. I saw more. Yeah. I saw more about Tom and Jerry because of the Snyder Cut leak that happened on <laughs> Tom and Jerry on HBO Max than anything. Yeah, I I can't. I have no idea. I didn't see Tom and Jerry, but um, I don't have to to know that it's not as good as Raya and the Last Dragon. So it's right. <laughs> not a result of the quality of the film. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I do think that Disney kind of buried Raya in the Last Dragon. Well, let's get mm-hmm. into it. Let's first start with a synopsis of Raya and the Last Dragon for people who are unfamiliar. The synopsis is in a realm known as Kumandra a reimagined earth inhabited by an ancient civilization. A warrior named Raya is determined to find the last dragon. Raya and the Last Dragon stars Kelly Marie Tran, Aquafina, and Gemma Chan. It is written by Queen Gwen and Adele Lim, and it is directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada. Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. Our lands have been at war for as long as we can remember. Our people never see eye to eye. My daughter, I believe our people can come together again, but someone has to take the first step. Now, in order to restore peace, we must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. Let's go. We'll have to watch our backs. We're not the only ones looking. So, yeah, Ryan the Last Dragon, it premiered in theaters last week on March 5th. Um, but obviously, because of COVID, it also went straight to Disney+. Plus. But unlike Tom and Jerry, which did that for HBO Max, it went under something called Premiere Access, which means that if you spent $30 on top of your Disney Plus membership, you could get unlimited access to the film on your Disney Plus account. If you remember, this was the same way that they released Mulan in September of last year. Yep. But it was not how they released Soul in December, which just went to Disney Plus for free. Right. Soul was a very good movie. Mulan was a very not good movie. So I was really not looking forward to paying $30 for this film. And I was pretty worried that the $30 thing 
felt like an indication from Disney that they were dumping this movie. I don't know if you mm-hmm. felt that at all, Chris. Um, no, I felt like there, there's just so much that goes into these movies and that they, they have to, they have to find an upcharge. I don't know if that's true, but I just feel like there's just so much that goes into them that it makes sense to me to try and make up some of that box office with like an audience that they have. Uh, so if you, if you use the Tom and Jerry example, there probably isn't installed Tom and Jerry fans that are going to pay that much money, um, mm-hmm. you know, to see that movie. Whereas like a new thing from Disney, I think is just like, they can do that. And so I, if to them, why wouldn't they do that? Yeah. It's just bizarre to me that they didn't do it for soul because I right. absolutely would have paid $30 for soul. And ultimately I'm glad I paid $30 for this, but because I had the $30 associated with Mulan and I found that so thoroughly disappointing. Like the more I think about that movie, the more disappointed I was with what we got versus what we could have got. I really Mm -hmm. love that director. I really love the Mulan story. So that was super frustrating. But then I was ultimately convinced by my girlfriend to pay the $30 and, you know, retrospectively, it was like, okay, of course I was going to do this. It's a new Disney thing. Like you just said, I'm going to pay the $30. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you pay to watch it on Disney Plus or did you venture to a theater? Definitely not comfortable going to theaters yet. So, I mean, for them to be able to, to um, release it, uh, we just make a night of it. You know, like we order in, you know, and we make a thing of it. We, we sit down, we get the phones out of the way and we, and, we, <laughs> and we act like we're at a theater as best we can. So to me, $30... I mean, I think maybe the part of it is, you know, they're trying to not do that every time, even though they know they probably could. And I think there's just sort of like a here's one for you. Here's one for us uh, thing back and forth, maybe with Disney Plus right now, where um, here's, you know, like here's soul for free and make an event of it on, you know, it came out on Christmas Day right. in, in North America. So, I mean, so there's that's that's really great for people already subscribing. And then, you know, here's one for us. We're going to release our, you know, brand new big animated feature and um, ask for $30 for it. And and I guess when you think of it in the way of, of a theater, uh, it, of course it's, it's fun to see and, and better to see movies big and sound systems big and be in those movies uh, in a theater with an audience. But $30, I feel like is a decent equivalent um, for a, a movie like that. Like your, your point on Mulan, a live action, you know, remake to me is never going to have the kind of draw, never going to have the kind of excitement for me personally that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a new animated feature is going to have. Yeah, I agree with that. But those things do make a billion dollars every time. I know. Um, So especially globally. I mean, it's, it's a smart business decision globally. You just can't get around that. Yeah. Well, let's just start with overall thoughts on Ryan, the last dragon. Uh, Chris, I know that you like this movie. Uh, We've talked about it. That's kind of why we did this. You know, we were thinking, should we do Cherry? Should we do Ryan, the last dragon? (laughs) And then I watched Ryan, the last dragon. And I was like, I'd much rather gush about this than try and take whatever Cherry is doing seriously. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's fine-ish, but I'm much more excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm glad we're doing this one. I will mention Cherry later, though, I think. <laughs> when we get towards the end, we'll just do some brief talk. But Raya, yeah, I, I, I really liked Raya. I think I even loved Raya, to be honest. You know, your point about maybe even just going back to that Tom and Jerry point, everybody's heard of Tom and Jerry, and there's so much value now in, you know, having heard of something, right? 
Mm-hmm. And it it's disappointing to hear that the box office for Raya was low because I want them to keep making movies where they're taking some risks with new characters, new worlds, new stories. These it's not a sequel. Uh, you know, sequels also have to start somewhere. And I think that this could be one of those movies where we'll yeah. see sequels <laughs> and things. But I want more original stories and original characters and things I haven't seen before. And that's what Raya delivered for me uh, in in a big way. I completely agree with you. I think I do absolutely love Raya. Um, one of my favorite Disney movies in a long time, um, which is saying something because I kind of love almost every single one of these animated films that comes out from Disney. What I really like about this is that it is a unique property. It's It's got so much amazing world building, the lore, the way that they efficiently deliver it to you in voiceover that doesn't feel like it's exposition, even though it is. I love the whole entire concept of Kumandra and these various tribes that have different ideologies and different aesthetics and everything. All of that is beautiful. But then it also has very familiar tropes and homages, and it really evokes a lot of other fantasy adventure films. And so to me, this felt like almost live action Avatar The Last Airbender or at times I felt How to Train Your Dragon, and not just because there's dragons in here, but because that is another example of a film that creates this world and makes it feel lived in and has all these unique things that get expanded upon in sequels. And then you've also got this uh, Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones thing. You've got some Lord of the Rings fellowship stuff here. It is such a fun and just fantastical film. I, I was blown away. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so compact for all of these big things. Like the story is really engaging. I think the pacing of it is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's like any low, slow moments in it. The, the structure of it is, is just sort of brilliant about, you know, um, like you said, these groups um, on a map, you know, it just kind of sets out this very obvious quest, but the obviousness of it isn't, isn't boring at all because each place is so unique and the characters that come from those places are really interesting and unique. And they, they give those scenes time. Like when they introduce those characters, um, they all kind of get time to show their story, their, their history, like their place in this larger quest that we're on with Raya. I love that. I think um, all of that is very masterful to me. It It's very Odyssean, in my opinion, of you've got this journey, you're getting from point to point. And a lot of these fantasy adventure films are very Odyssean in that they kind of have these little set pieces that you go to and you get a tale, sort of like a mini quest within each place. And this mm-hmm. one does that too, right? You start in tail and you go to the next place and the next place and you yep. encounter characters here and there. It kind of reminds me of Finding Nemo or something like that. And I, I like what you said about the pacing because it's it's very quick. And I think, you know, a lot of the films that I just referenced, like Lord of the Rings is notoriously long. And I feel like this film kind of wants to be two hours and 45 minutes. It wants to be an epic. Right. And I would watch that. I mean, I know children wouldn't. I know they have to get stuff done in an hour and 50 minutes, which is already on the long side for an animated film. So there's a couple parts where I'm like, oh, I want more of that. Give me more of that. And I just want to live in this world, just want to be in it. And I think that from like a manipulative marketing perspective is brilliant because you can make a a Disneyland part of this. Uh, You can make (laughs) whatever you want. You know, it's it's such a great world. I just want to see so many more stories 
in Kumandra. Right. Yeah. I, um, I think you mentioned, was that it, it was that in the DMs or something where I think you mentioned uh, that it, it probably could be a show, you know, sometime at, at, in on Disney Plus. And it, it just has that kind of depth to it. And, and it just kind of touches on it, you know, every time it just mm-hmm. kind of reveals a little bit. But the reveal is so great because it, it's revealing enough to give you, it leaves you wanting more every time. You never feel like, you know, okay, there's not much here. Or, or you always feel like it's just revealing enough to create like intrigue and, and you just want some more out of that. And uh, I can definitely see this expanding to a show, to, to, to more movies. So there's, there's, there's definitely more stories and tales to be told uh, with this world. There's just so much depth to it. When I was a kid, there was like Toon Disney, which was, you know, a, a network television. Show. It wasn't the Disney Channel. It was like a separate thing where they would do all of these shows with these IP characters and they would be kind of off brand and pretty shitty. But <laughs> there were some that were like Legends of Tarzan and Jane or something. And it would just be these stories in the Tarzan universe where they're just exploring different parts of the jungle and stuff. And they would get pretty, pretty out there with some of this stuff like possessed jewels and, and stuff like that. But yeah. I want a shitty mid 2000s era Toon Disney TV show about Kumandra. Call it Legends of <laughs> Kumandra, Adventures through Kumandra, whatever. And just give me more with these characters. Give me more with what makes Talon and Tail and Spine and Fang so different. I, I love it. I just want to be in here. So, man. Exactly. I'm high on Kumandra, Chris. I'm, I'm high on Commander too. I, I 100% agree with you. I think it, that's a, it's a rare movie too, where uh, if they made a show of it or if they made, if they make sequels of it and stuff, I'm totally already on board. Like, just give me more of that. Yeah. The, the other thing that I really like about this movie that does things a little differently than something like Moana, which I think is probably the closest comparison that you could have to this. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Disney even recommended that I watch it right after I watch this. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> all of like the, all of the original Disney movies were right after. It's like, hey, don't you want to see all these? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not as egregious as after every WandaVision episode than being like, you want to watch a two hour and 45 minute movie called Avengers Age of Ultron after you yeah. watch this 20 <laughs> minutes of TV? Exactly. But I was like, no, I I don't think I need another Disney princess movie right away. But it reminds me a lot of Moana because Moana has that same thing where you they kind of island hop and they go to these different things and they experience the coconut people and then that stupid crab thing that I think undermines the whole point of that movie and and all that stuff. (laughs) But what this movie does is when they stop at all these places, they accrue characters And I loved that. I loved that you get a little bit with, uh, what's his name? Boone. Yep. And then he's in the rest of the movie. And in a normal, in a normal Disney movie, he has his little bit and then you don't see him again. Or you see him at the very end of the movie, like the, um, the ruffians entangled or something. Right. Or Sven and frozen. You, You see very, you know, he's there for a bit and then he's gone. Yeah. But instead, they slowly accrue this fellowship. They even call it a fellowship at one point. And it feels natural. It feels like I care about each one of these characters. And it's so just easy. And I want to start seeing that of having this more ensemble-esque aspect to these Disney animated properties. Yeah. Or no, maybe it wasn't Sven. Maybe it was the it was the Yoohoo guy. I forget what he, his name was. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but, <laughs> okay, but you're sorry. right, right? Like he he shows up or the trolls show up or the abominable snowman in Frozen. And I love right. that movie, but that movie is completely about Anna and Elsa and then right. to an extent Kristoff. But 
this is like, no, we've got the the main character, Raya, but we also have Boone and Tong and uh, Khan Baby. <laughs> yeah, Khan Baby. Fucking love Khan Baby. What was her name? She had it. It was like, what was it? It was Noi. Noi. That was it. Yeah, that was actually a, a beautiful little moment. We won't we won't spoil it, but that was a beautiful little moment when we found that. Out yeah. So so you do find out her name, but for most of the movie, even the subtitles call her Con Baby, which yeah. I loved. Anytime Con Baby was on screen, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with your point on just like these on like an ensemble cast, and each one gets you know the right timing and the right scenes to really just like bring them out of just supporting character you know territory they're 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 they have more depth to them they're really fun and interesting they add to the story and yeah i really like that especially you know because they're they're all kind of supposed to be in conflict in some way Mm -hmm. and there's little bits of that but um for the most part it's just like a great example of like what the movie's about and bringing them all together and yeah, I want more of that too. I think the ensemble the ensemble suits the quest really well. Yeah, for sure. And I always am blown away by how good these Disney animated films are at emotionally investing you in these characters who you have objectively little time to spend with. Right. Like we don't really get much with Tong, but then in the end when, you know, we won't, won't spoil it here, but in the end when he has his emotional catharsis, I was like Oh, God, that broke me almost as much as Raya's, you know? Um, And I really love Disney's ability to do that, to make these characters that you really care about, Mm -hmm. even though you spend like maybe five minutes of screen time with them. Right. They they construct it so, so well. And then there's just something about animation. I mean, Mm -hmm. and the animation has just, I mean, I don't know if we want to move into animation just like as a, you know, to talk about that. Of, but yeah. it's in, it's incredible. The animation like has brought these characters to life in in such a brilliant way. And I mean, just like the technic the technical side of it is like blew me away. Just like the the lighting mm-hmm. and the water in this movie. Like they must have I don't know how they did it, but the water has like just like the perfect water essence, you know, and, and brings it to life in such an interesting and cool way. Um, and it's very significant, like to the story and to the movie. So you can see why they would, you know, put so much into something like water and how it looks and acts. But it is just like beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of the term for what happens, like when water, um, when light shines on water, and then it kind of like makes a rainbow on the water surface, or when you have bubbles, and right. it kind of makes this very odd optical illusion. And it looks so realistic in this mm-hmm. movie when they do that, like just all the water droplets, how they interact with the light. And then we've also got these uh, drone that are kind of the antagonists in so much as there is an abstract antagonist in this film. And they have this sort of like purple light that emits from them and that yeah. how that interacts with the um, the environment and like especially in the opening scenes when like they're on the bridge you know, and, and the, yep. the purple light is kind of lighting them up from the back. It looks so good. I love the right. animation in this movie. It does. It looks really great. And and they even allowed it to be or found a way for it to be menacing. It looks menacing. It, it's it's kind of t- it's a terrifying blob of purple. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> like how they do that. I don't know. But they they, they did it. Uh, and part of it is the sound design, too. This movie actually has really great sound design, I think, throughout the whole thing with all the different uh 
creatures like Tuck Tuck. I love how he like his, oh. you can kind of hear his like body clinking together, and, and and all the characters have that kind of weight, you know, through the animation, and it it's really wonderful. I love Tuck Tuck so much. Yeah, maybe Tuck Tuck. I would kill for that little animal. <laughs> I would kill anyone if Tuck Tuck was like, "You should do that." Mm-hmm. Kill for me, and I'd be like, "Yes, yes, I absolutely will." I love this thing, and Anything you know, part you. of it is, of course, just marketing manipulation and and whatever. But it reminds me exactly of Baby Yoda, where when Baby Yoda pops up at the end of the first episode of Mandalorian, I was like, "I see you, Mandalorian. I know what you're doing. I won't fall for this." <laughs> and then he like sips his little fucking tea, and I'm like, "Okay, you got it. You got me. I'm yes. I'm a human being." You yeah they they know what they're doing when they when they design characters they know the ones that are just like going to melt hearts they're going to be like oh you know they <laughs> they, de- they develop them so so perfectly and uh, yeah tuck tuck for me tuck tuck in this one for me for sure I, even the big one though I want to say even the big one oh the yeah big tuck, like baby tuck tuck yes even big tuck tuck I'm all about it so obviously tuck tuck is part pill bug and he's part armadillo right but did you yeah. know there's a third animal that Tuck Tuck is a part? No. Could you guess what it is? Like if you had to guess? He sort of looks hedgehoggy to me in the face in a cartoon way. Yeah, I, I see I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um apparently he's one third pug. What? I don't I don't <laughs> care for that too much, I'll be honest. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, so Tuck Tuck, one third pill bug, one third armadillo, one third pug. Um, if people are listening to this and they haven't seen the movie, look up baby tuck tuck and your heart will melt (laughs) (laughs) i agree um the one other thing that we haven't talked about that is a huge part of this movie is the action which is just absolutely badass right this does have Mm -hmm. a tomb raider martial arts aspect to it and it's so amazingly choreographed and it's also like in some portions pretty violent pretty harsh because i was actually reading what the uh the director said about this is that because it's animation, they can film it in a way where you can see the actual hits. And so you get that actual connection between like sword and sword or uh, face and fist that you don't necessarily get in live action. And so that's interesting. Actually to make it seem less harsh and make it so that because this is still a kid's movie, they filmed it like a live action film where you kind of cut away from things so that you don't see the, the direct brutality of it but it still comes across there's some pretty gruesome and really well done fights in here i'm, I'm thinking of the the last final fight between namari and raya mainly right right yeah there's there's like weight to it emotionally there's weight to it as they connect yes the sword fights are just awesome and and uh i think they even said i think i read somewhere where like they it could be an r-rated movie yeah if they if they is did you just say that because i i said i read that someplace yeah, it's from the same article, I think, where or, you know, the same interview or whatever, where they said that because, you know, it, it could be R-rated if they actually kept everything in there that they right, could have, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's that's a very interesting way to put it <laughs> for a Disney movie. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, it seems like there's moments in there, too, that are especially uh, inspired by martial arts movies. I mean, there's a lot of... Um, shots and stuff that I feel like are, are lifted from, you know, like classic martial arts sword play movies um, in the beginning and at the end, especially. And she has a cool sword. I've never seen anything sort of designed like that. It's sort of like disconnects oh, yeah. like a, like a cool whip and it has like multiple uses. 
So I, I, I thought that was really, really neat. Yeah, I love that sword and, and the way she uses it, the way it sounds when it moves and it kind of like disconnects right into a grappling hook sometimes. Yeah. Um, really cool stuff. The other other thing that I want to talk about is the voice acting and, you know, Aquafina. And actually, maybe we can use this to talk about PRs, uh, which is, of course, a segment of the podcast where we ask if this film is anyone's best performance or to use the running related term, their quote unquote personal record. So it's kind of tough to say a voice performance is better than Aquafina in um, what is that movie that she's in? The, the really good one. The farewell. The farewell. Yeah, the farewell. And I would say no, no, this is not right. <laughs> better than that performance. <laughs> That's hard to beat. Right. But which of these performances do you think is is best from a voice acting perspective? Uh, well, I think I think for me, it, it is really just going to Raya and, and Kelly Marie Tran. And uh, I'm excited that she got a large, you know, like, I don't know if Raya is a Disney princess. Is she an official Disney princess? Is that does that happen later? I don't know how you get coronated <laughs> as like a, an official Disney princess, but she sort um, of is right. Yeah. And she's yeah. starring in I her own movie. Is. Yeah. And she's the princess of heart. The, right. So so um, I, I thought that was a very good thing to do especially after you know like she was just like not used in rise of skywalker just Mm -hmm. sort of like out of that movie for the most part i think she has like a minute and a half of screen time or something so i'm glad that disney like turned around and was like here's a a disney princess role and she killed it and you know i think i think that for me is my favorite role from her so you would say that that's like a kelly marie tran pr yeah yeah i would agree with that um not a huge fan of how she was used in the last Jedi. Like I think what she has to do does her a disservice. Like some of what she has to say in that line about doing the things we love or whatever that is. Uh, didn't, didn't care for that too much. Um, but I, I think she's great in this and she really delivers on the emotional aspects and is also convincingly angry when she's angry or fierce when she wants to be fierce. It's a really good performance. Um, Right. I and think the Aquaf- a, oh sorry um, no, go ahead just, just quickly the the movie is about trust in in a lot of ways right and I mm-hmm. think that that's she does a really great job of sort of being an in between as far as like I want to trust and but I can't trust and she does a really good job of conveying a lot of that emotion and um, feeling from for that character so yeah you can see how conflicted she is and she delivers that really well mm-hmm. um the other main character is Aquafina, who I think I was a little concerned would kind of ham it up in the way that she did in Crazy Rich Asians. And at the very beginning of her character introduction, she does do that a little bit. Like she kind of uses that um, the the rasp in her voice to be a little silly. And then I think yeah. she kind of, as we go on, becomes a much more nuanced and layered character. And I really appreciated that. And I think she's mm-hmm. over the top in the right ways. So I thought she was great in this as well. Yeah, I don't know if it's too much of a spoiler, um, you know, to say that she she isn't the dragon the entire time. And I like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, we'll keep it at that. But we can. Yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it at that. Because, like, I think there's there's more to her that, than you see, like, in the trailers, previews and stuff. And, and, and I, I really like that. Yeah. One last person that this could be a PR for is Don Hall the director um he previously directed big hero six have you seen that one yes and i really like big hero six okay i i think um the first time i saw big hero six i was a little underwhelmed i would say because it definitely 
trends towards being more kid friendly, I would say, than some of the other Disney properties. Like it, it's very right. kind of cotton candy y. And there's a pretty emotional part of that movie that I think is undermined a little bit by how they can't really address how serious that emotional thing is. Uh, whatever. Somebody dies and they never right. really say that he's dead. They always say he's gone or he's not here right now. And that always kind of undermined the emotional pin of that movie. But mm-hmm. I think in this movie, they do a really good job at using this thing where the Druin turn people into stone. And they're not saying that they're dead, but there's something almost more harrowing about seeing all of these stone figures around the world in this post-apocalyptic place. That part I thought was a really good way to explore like loss without actually having to be like, all these people were murdered, you know? And, right. and um, so I, I love this movie and I think this is definitely Don Hall's PR. Yeah, I really like that too. I like that it's um, uh, they they kind of show them around, you know, and and almost um, it feels almost like a western or something in the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie where you can kind of see a scene where uh, you know the druin got them, you know, and you can kind of put it together in, in like a you know in a way of like oh that's what happened they were do they were you know on a wagon and got attacked and they couldn't escape and. Uh, you know, something like that. Uh, I think that they do really interesting things with um, setting up those scenes. And then, you know, also just that it does ravage the world. I mean, it is it is a very devastating, world-changing thing. And it's it's interesting that it's not one-time, right? It's not like a one-time move. It's, it, it's like an ongoing thing. Yeah, and there's a line somewhere in the middle that indicates that the Droon they have an origin from humans and that obviously plays into the theme of trust and how these things kind of are a metaphor for distrust and human greed and human rage and all this stuff. And I think all that works really well. The other director of this movie, Carlos Lopez Estrada, do you know what his one other movie is? I don't. It's Blind Spotting. Oh, wow. So, of course, Blind Spotting, David Diggs and uh, what is his name? Raphael something. But anyways, Live action movie, fantastic movie, but nothing like this movie. I'm I, um, really blown away that this is the next thing that he does. It's really cool. Obviously, the next thing that he's doing is the live action Robin Hood, a.k.a. Okay. Furry Bait. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that going to be that? I don't know if I knew that. Is that, Are they going to do the, the animals? I think they are, yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I mean... Two for two from Carlos Lopez Estrada. I'm really excited to see what uh, what he does next. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move into spoilers, I think. Uh, we've, we've kind of talked up this movie plenty. I think there's more than enough reason for people to to see this movie if they haven't. Before you, we do that, why don't, Chris, you just summarize your thoughts on Ryan the Last Dragon and then give it a score out of 10. Yeah, um, I was really surprised by the movie. I, did, I felt like I wasn't um, super excited about it. You know, it, it, it looked interesting. But it totally won me over very quickly. Just we've talked about the world. It's it's it has a lot of depth to it. It's just aesthetically interesting. And I really just was sucked in right away by the characters. One thing we didn't talk about was the score. I love oh, the yeah. score by James Newton Howard. Incredible. I loved the score. I thought it was one of the best parts about the movie in a movie that has a lot of great things about it. So yeah, I, I was I was totally won over by it, and I felt like you know I wasn't 
uh, prepped by hype to do so. Um, so I was just very pleasantly um, surprised how much I enjoyed it and can't wait to see more from that world like we also talked about. So for me, I'm saying like a pr- pretty high. I mean, I've never really scored movies uh, like like that. I guess eight out of 10 for me. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I forgot to ask, like, where does this rank amongst Disney's, let's say, modern era films? So like starting with Tangled. Well, see, I like I like that it wasn't a musical. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a, almost an important differentiation of, uh, uh, from some of those other ones. I think like it was so rooted in action adventure. And I like that it wasn't, you know, a musical when I, I love the musicals. I just think it, it's interesting how much that sets it apart. Uh, I I think it's way up there. I really like Moana. I really like Tangled. I'm not as huge on Frozen. I like it. But yeah, I think this is um, right up there with like those classics. I would say the same thing. I think just overall for me, this movie is kind of everything I want from movies. You've got amazing world building. It's funny. You have really empathetic and fully realized characters. You care about everything that happens to them and you understand why they are the way they are. It's got great action. Um, It's animated, so it's got beautiful animation. And then it just has a really captivating story, and the emotional payoff of that story is incredibly affecting. I don't think I cried, but I got pretty damn close, which I'm (laughs) going to give the movie credit for. I really can't recommend this enough. Um, I know there's that big $30 price tag on it for people, but go check it out. Would highly recommend it. And you will probably want to watch it more than once. I don't love doing this, but I'm going to do it. 10 out of 10 for me. Nice. I adore this movie. I really, there's a couple things that I'll mention in spoilers that I was like, you know, maybe we could tweak this here and there. But other than that, this is a fantastic movie. And for me, it's right up there, as you're saying, with like um, Tangled, Frozen, I adore Wreck-It Ralph, uh, Zootopia, I'll need to rewatch sometime soon. But um, mm-hmm. it's it's as good or better than all of those films. So I'd be really surprised if this isn't in like my top three of 2021. Nice. Yeah. And, and as, as if you were to kind of differentiate the, the musicals versus the non-musicals, this is way on top for me for like the non-musical Disney ones that have been of, of, of late. And another uh, thing we didn't even really touch on, I don't think it's really kitty or anything at all, you know, as far yeah. as Disney fair. I mean, I feel like, everyone could enjoy this movie. I mean, it, it really, it really brings out the fan it's family friendly, but in the meaning of family friendly, it's just that it's, it's a story really well told with really engaging characters. And I feel like anybody can enjoy this movie. So it's definitely not just one, like get it for the kids and it won't annoy you. Um, you know, mo- <laughs> yeah. I feel like Disney, Disney's always, Disney and Pixar are always really good about, you know, getting outside of those bookends, right. Or limitations. But uh, this one is way up there for me on that. I think anybody can enjoy this movie, even if you don't have kids. Yeah, I completely agree. So uh, let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll hop into spoilers for Raya and the Last Dragon. Hey there, I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. 
Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. All right, we are back in talking about spoilers for Raya and the Last Dragon. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the ending scene and maybe kind of how that ties into the film thematically. I mean, this is not a film where you have to really think about the message too hard. It's pretty straightforward, um, which is that we should trust people and that trust is a beautiful thing. Uh, What I really love about this film is the idea of Kumandra. And and you kind of hinted at this a little bit in the the pre-spoilers section. The idea of this film and the idea that uh, I think his name is Benjin. Is that the father's name? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He he wants all of these people to come together and form unity in Kumandra. And that is what happens naturally, organically in the film as we collect these eccentric characters. So we get Boon from Tail and we get Con Baby or Noi from uh, Spine or no, she's from Talon. But anyway, yeah. so we, we, we get all of these people and they form their own Kumandra. And I, that's so beautiful. It's so brilliant. Such great storytelling. Yeah, I, I, I think when I, one of the first things I said was pacing and like the pacing of the quest is so well done that I love going to each location. Each location sort of has its unique like citizens or, or unique uh, people that live there and like everything that happened since the jewel was shattered. And um, it just does such a great job with that. Yeah, I, that is the thing that I was saying that like this film wants to be two hours and 45 minutes and give us even more time in each of those places. Like we're kind of rushed pretty quickly out of spine. And I would have loved to just know more about that culture. Um, mm-hmm. I really like this idea that they are toying at with how a spine is known for being these brutes. But this guy who's supposed to be a spine soldier is so lonely and yeah. <laughs> he's just emotionally distraught at the loss of his entire village. But right. he's supposed to be what spine is known for, you know, um, and right. there's an elephant toy in his little girl's crib who is now obviously turned to stone but that means there's some weird elephants in that place and i would love to see that creature design i actually noticed that on the rewatch when they're all gathered at the beginning and when when raya's still a little girl like so it's sort of like the prelude section Mm. you know those elephants are in the back of like the crowd really of yeah they're big like mammoth creatures mammoth style elephants it's really cool behind all the people yeah so exactly. It, it is, again, just like you. I can see that little bit and I would love some more of that. Yeah. Which is your favorite place that we got to go to out of tail, spine, talon, fang, heart? Which one was like, that's my people? Well, I'm from Minnesota, so I'm going to go with spine because <laughs> I, I, they have they had the winters. So I'll go with them. They're, they're my people. Nice. Yeah, I think I mean, I guess I'm from Arizona, so maybe I, I'm supposed to pick tail because they're the desert, but <laughs> I really liked just the aesthetic of uh, Talon. Yeah. That city with all the lights and the music and everything. All that was so cool. I I love how each of them are designed. I really wanted to get more of Fang. And I feel like there is another version of this film 
that spends a little more time in Fang. There were some some moments in this film that I felt like they were sort of cut from other renditions of this story where there's something going on in Fang about how there's this class struggle or poverty or they, they keep saying these things like we always look out for each other or, you know, I haven't had rice in years because there's some holes here. And I was wondering what you thought about that. If you felt that there was something a little more there that a longer version of this film or a different version of this film might have explored. Yeah, definitely. And um, what is what is the other girl's name? Is it Namira? Namari. Namari. Okay, sorry. I had trouble like remembering some of the <laughs> names, but Namari, because she's from Fang. Yeah. And, and for the record, I just watched this like 40 minutes ago. So that's the only reason they're fresh <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so she, she's sort of manipulated, I think, into being outside of the Kumandra ideal, right? Of mm-hmm. like, you have to destroy others to, to lift yourself up or, or something like that. Right. And it's just, um, she, she represents that, even though that might not be like her internal actual goals. It's like, she was kind of brought up in that. And then when you see Fang, it, it looks really um, great. <laughs> and so like the way they designed it and stuff. And I understand that it's an island, you know? So in that sense, they, it's saying like, you've blocked yourself off completely mm. from the rest of the world. And um, when you make yourself an island, that means you don't trust people and you, you can't connect with people. And so in that sense, yeah. But I think maybe, um, I think maybe they just come off as a little too villainous and, and not enough there to like understand why i think you're just supposed to kind of understand them as as greedy or something like that you know just some some sort of like i'm closed off thinking of myself thinking of ourselves what's best for us and no one else and there's not more to that i guess in 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 a character sense i don't think yeah and i kind of would have liked there to be a little more i guess if there are just a few criticisms that i have of the film one of them is that the film poses the whole reason that Raya doesn't trust people is that when she was young and when Namari was young, Namari backstabbed her, basically. She welcomed right. her in to show her the um, the dragon gem, and then she was like, we're going to take it for ourselves. And what I think would have been a little bit more effective, because that sort of is the entire crux of the ending and learning to trust her again and all of this stuff, I thought it might have been a little bit better if they had a longer friendship. So if we kind of spent more time in that uh, prelude and they had a friendship for like a month or something or like where they became very dependent or maybe they were friends before Fang decided to split off. I guess that doesn't make sense because that was 500 years ago, but something where there was a little more shared history there would have made everything a little bit more effective in my opinion. Right. And I can see where it's, it's, I think it's just like a storytelling, like pacing, yeah. you know, uh, or like decision. Um, and I, I totally can understand that, but yeah, because she, it, it, that relationship, very brief relationship affects her for the rest of the movie. You know, it, it, right. it sort of, it Raya, it informs Raya like for the rest of the movie. And, um, it does feel like a, a little too brief. And they have a lot of like lines throughout the movie where they'll say something like, oh, that's no way to treat an old friend, or I know how to get under Namari's skin. And it just feels as if those lines would make more sense 
if they had a longer shared history because they knew each other for literally three hours or yeah. something. But again, you're you're completely right. I think it's, hey, this is a kid's movie that needs to be under two hours, preferably mm-hmm. under two hours and 45 minutes. So let's get this thing moving. And, and it works. Right. It's not like it doesn't work. I just noticed that that was one thing where I thought if this was a two hour and 45 minute epic, we'd have 40 minutes of baby Raya. Yeah, it could almost be like uh, Fox and the Hound in a, in mm-hmm. that in that way of like you know yeah, great people example. from yeah two people uh, well in that case that they're animals but obviously two <laughs> two two characters two people that are from very different places and they're supposed to be enemies but they come together secretly and build a relationship and then you know the duty or their place of the, the people that they're with there's the society that they're a part of forces them to betray that right I feel like. Uh, with Namari betraying her immediately, it maybe doesn't build that up enough. Like you're saying, uh, the only, the only thing I would say with that is, is it because they're children and um, maybe, maybe it's, it is sort of it, sad just based on like they're being raised to do that. And I kind of, and I feel like you do get that with Namari later where you feel like she's pushed into doing these things um, that she doesn't actually want to do, but she just feels pressure to do it. And I think that's important too for, you know, like what she does in the end. Yeah. And going back to the end again, I mean, I, I think the film does a really good job at giving her the final trust or, or thing to do, right? Because I think a dumber movie or a less smart, I don't know, a, a not as intelligent movie would have all the people trust Raya and give Raya all the orbs. And that would be Namari's moment of, I trust you, Raya. Here's this thing. But by Raya saying, I trust you, Namari, you're the one that's going to put this together when she has an option to escape. She sees the light, she can leave, but she goes, no, let's put it all together. That's kind of the redemption for that character that I really appreciated from this movie. And it shows a competence in filmmaking or storytelling, not necessarily filmmaking, but storytelling that a lot of these other animated films don't have yeah they they both change and and converge at Mm -hmm. the end to like fulfill that complete arc right so that you know raya learns to trust an enemy which the whole movie she's you know saying you can't trust anybody but she learns to like trust an enemy and somebody who betrayed her right and then namari same she learns to like trust and betray the orders or, or the rules of her mother in society saying like, you need to do this for us. And she, she goes across on that and, and does what you said. She puts everything together. So I I do feel like they both sort of complete that arc and they convert, they do converge it perfectly so that they both sort of do it at the same time. One thing we noticed too is, you know, why, why weren't the dragons, if the gem used to be whole, why weren't all the dragons like uh, around at that time? And so that was sort of confusing. I noticed that too. Like, why did this time that the gem went off, why did all the dragons come back, but they didn't come back the last time? That's what I'm saying. So, so the, they, they definitely, there's nothing I think in the film to say this is the answer, but if it is the answer, it's pretty good in that I think it actually took, it's almost like your Lord of the Rings example. You know how the, the ring has to be destroyed in, in Mount Doom? You know, it has mm-hmm. to be like in a certain location. This isn't a location thing, but it has to be done by like a certain person where like everybody 
is in Kumandra, right? By the, when they form the gem. So like mm. my theory, if we have time for theories, is that if they had, <laughs> if they had all, if they had all been at the very beginning of the movie, when the gem was together, um, the dragons would have been back if all of those groups of people were in Kumandra with each other. And it, it would have been like a whole thing. And so like, it took that big change from all these groups of people coming together, like in the quest, in the journey, uh, to create that element when they bring the gem back together. That was my theory. I think that makes complete sense. And it also is supported by when Sisu says something, or maybe it's not Sisu, I think it's Raya. She says to Sisu, do you know the reason that the dragons didn't come back 500 years ago? It's because people didn't deserve them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So um, maybe they do kind of try to allude to that, like the reason being why why they come back at the end and not before. Yeah, so we just we just solved our own nitpick with the movie. I, I always yeah, love when that go. happens. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anything else you want to talk about in spoilers or should we uh, close on out? I thought it was, I thought the ending was really lovely. I, I love the swelling score as the, the dragons are running through the sky and stuff. Like it just brings the, it brings it all together really well. I completely agree. I mean, just, just uh, the other thing, you know, it is so predictable to have an ending where, oh, the daughter is reunited with, with the dad and Tong is reunited with his family and Con baby is reunited with your mother. And it's so predictable, but it works. Man, mm-hmm. it, it just tugs at the heartstrings. And there's something about like, you know, the, the distancing of COVID and all this shit that has made me a little more susceptible to it a little bit. Just like, I want to see wholesome stuff because there's, there's <laughs> like a whole, together. <laughs> yeah, like th- there's, there's another version of this film. That's like a happy, sad, where maybe not everybody comes back and you have to learn that like people move on and stuff, but no, I just wanted like, I just wanted her to hold her bar again. I and they did that. And that was a great part of this movie that it's just such a feel good film too. Yep. So, uh, I think we can end it there. Um, I will say as I usually do at the end of spoiler things that I'm talking positively about, even if you haven't seen the film and you already listened to the spoiler section, go and watch the movie. It worked the second time that I saw it, even though I knew what was going to happen. It's just a really fun film. And, and like we're saying, it's a great place to spend time in. Totally agree. And uh, go watch it for the beautiful water alone. Yeah. <laughs> so since we're on the Movie Marathoners podcast, Chris, uh, I think we'll end our review with a marathon related question. So you are now competing in the marathon at the Kumandra Olympics, and you are to represent either talon, tail, spine, heart, or fang. So who are you representing and who are you bringing as your teammate? Well, I feel like I got to represent spine because of my previous answer, right? So I'm like, yeah. that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going with them. But my teammate is definitely Boone because mm. he's going to feed me. So you're crossing tribe lanes. I'm, tra- I'm cross. I'm commandering the, the marathon. <laughs> and Boone is coming along because he's going to feed me amazing food. One thing we didn't touch on on the movie is the food and the metaphor with the food. But the food looks incredible. Yeah, um, that's a good choice. I'm going to also just stay true to my last answer and I'm going to represent Talon. And I don't think I can justify bringing Con Baby with me in a marathon, <laughs> but I will take one of those Anjis or whatever they're called. I think they'd be pretty fun to be strolling along with. So, yeah, they're monkeys, right? Talon, ride or die. Yeah, they're some sort of monkey. Maybe they're <laughs> like part pug. Who knows, man? Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So Chris, what have you been watching other than Raya? Last night I watched Cherry. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing hey, I'm really happy you're here. Why is that? Because I like you. But there never seems to be enough time to do. You're it for me. I feel the same way. I joined the army. Why would you do that? Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's going to happen. And it's a nightmare. Which is the thing we didn't, we decided not to cover today. Yeah. Was that a good idea? Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I turned it on. I was shocked. It was two hours and 20 minutes. I was stunned. I was like, I can't believe this movie is two hours and 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I watched that. So Cherry um, stars Tom Holland. It's the Russo's brothers movie. And I believe it's their, the movie, it's the movie after the Avengers, right? The end game yeah. and everything. It's like the next one. It, it, there's a lot of interesting choices in it. I feel like it's very tonally all over the place. Um, and that's like one of my largest uh, critiques is just, it feels tonally all over the place. I'm not exactly sure what kind of movie it wants to be. And uh if I, if I, if there's something I could say the positive about it, love the music choices, great music choices in the movie. Um, and Tom Holland is actually very good. Um, I feel like, you know, I've not seen him in anything except Spider-Man. I don't think, you know, the Spider-Man movies or the Avengers movies. And, um, you know, he plays a very young, young kid in, in those movies. And, um, he even has some good range, like in the Avengers movies, I think yeah, but this, this yeah. he's, he, they, they use him really well. Like he does a great job of, being a very torn up character. Um, so I, I do think uh, he, he's the best part of the movie. And I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, if, if I can recommend a movie to you um, instead of, of Cherry is um, you should check out The Impossible. That's with okay. Tom Holland when he's really young. I think he's like maybe 12 or 14 or something at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's with Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor. It's like a, a, the, the tsunami in... I think Thailand or Taiwan or something maybe, but that's a phenomenal movie. And I think a really phenomenal uh, performance that made me when I watched that go, Oh, I am excited to see what this guy brings to Spider-Man. So interesting. Yeah. See, I, I've never seen him in anything else. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good one to start with. Cause he's just really good in that. Does cherry justify it's two hours and 20 minutes? Like, does it feel extra long? Like, does it feel like it's worth being there for that long or does it just feel really bloated? It feels, it feels long. It's definitely, um, you know, we're here and then now we're here and now we're here and now we're here. I mean, it's like, I I don't know if it's spoilers. If I, I knew nothing about the movie. I knew nothing about the movie. So like, to me, it was just like, I had no idea what this is about. It's about, you know, a soldier, a kid who becomes a soldier who becomes a drug addict. And it's about as far as way you could get from a Disney movie Let's just put that out there. <laughs> it's about as far as away from that as you can get. And uh, it, it, it's definitely like there's, there's extended pieces of like, okay, I'm in basic training. I'm in the war. I'm in, mm. I'm back home and now I'm doing this thing. And so the, it's definitely broken up that way. And so each section can kind of uh, feel like, okay, I, I, it's hard to actually pinpoint what kind of movie it is uh, almost directly because of that. Okay. That makes sense. So Cherry on Apple TV Plus, but you wouldn't recommend it, Chris? 
Um, I would say no, I, I don't recommend it. Um, I have Apple TV Plus, I think free. And this was free, no upsell, no, no upcharge, no, nothing like that. Um, I did watch it. I did, it kept me engaged enough to, to see it through and everything. Like I said, Tom Holland really did that um, almost solely. But yeah, I can't, I can't quite recommend it um, as one to jump on. Okay. Well, that's a bit disappointing. So maybe check out The Impossible instead. I, I think people would like that one. But yeah. Um, the, the movie that I just want to shout out here is I finally got to check out Another Round. Have you seen that film? No. So this is the Danish film by Thomas Vinterberg, and it stars Mads Mikkelsen. So this is the Ooh. one that a bunch of people are really in love with. People love this. It's It's gotten some awards love. It's one of those ones that's probably a lock for best international feature at the, uh, I almost said the Olympics, at the Oscars. <laughs> um, you know, if not a win, then certainly a nomination. So I've heard yeah. a lot of stuff about this. And this is basically a film where four high school teachers decide to consume alcohol on a daily basis and then see how it affects their social and professional lives. So they have this theory that, you know, they quote some guy who thinks that people were born with a blood alcohol content level that is 0.05% too low. So basically he thinks you should always have roughly a 0.05% blood alcohol level and you'll do better, you'll feel better, and just enough to, to take the buzz off, basically. Interesting premise. Yeah. You know, the film, it acts as a parable or a fable in, in a way. Um, and and I, I think the Mads Mikkelsen performance is, is really great. There's the one scene at the end that kind of feels like it was created to be shared on film Twitter and for people to rave about. But I will say overall... I didn't like the movie quite as much as I wanted to. Um, I, I guess our point two section is a little bit underwhelming this week. Um, <laughs> I think it's still like a good movie, but ultimately the moral or the message of the film is at least the way I interpreted it pretty much what you would assume the message about four high school teachers deciding to consume alcohol on a daily basis would be. Right. Like, I think there's a pretty obvious trajectory that that goes where they start like, oh, we can handle this. And then, oh, we can't handle this. And then the end is somewhere in the middle is probably good. And so that doesn't mean that it's bad, but I do feel like we get that a lot. We get a lot of moderation is key or, you know, sometimes doing bad things is good to break you out of the monotony of life, but you can't let it go too far. So, right. I mean... I, I just, I was, I thought that the love of this film, it kind of made me think that there would be a little more to it than that. But to me, there really wasn't. So it, it's not a bad film. I think it's very competently made. I would recommend it if you want to check it out. It's on VOD for like six bucks or whatever. And sure. there's a couple scenes in it that are fun, you know, just on a, on a watching people have fun drunk vicariously. That part is fun for a little bit, but it didn't really blow me away in any special way, which made me feel a little disappointed. So does it, would it pair well with a cocaine bear movie? <laughs> I hope cocaine bear movie makes me look at another round and go, that was tame. So we'll put it out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. Maybe we can do a double feature in, uh, in a year or two with, with another round and cocaine bear. And, and one other thing I'll say about it is that in Denmark, I think that's the right one. Denmark is Danish, right? Netherlands yeah. is Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. 
in Denmark, there's a lot of like different cultural things in Denmark compared to the States. And so some of the transitions or uh, translations, I mean, from Danish to English is a little confusing. Like the way sure. that their school structure is set up and, and the way that they talk about how tests are administered in graduation and stuff is a little confusing. And then I think there's also just a very cultural aspect to this movie that has to do with how Denmark approaches drinking and social drinking and all that in general that's a little different from the US. So I think sure. that is also kind of interesting. All right. Well, I think, you know, it's sort of like uh, the Tom Holland might pull you into Cherry enough. Maybe the Mads Mikkelsen will pull me in enough. To, yeah. I mean, to you know, one. you can never go wrong with Mads Mikkelsen. He's, of course, great in this. Um, yeah. And it's always fun to watch him. I, I kept waiting for him to be like, you're going to eat someone, aren't you, Mads? Or you're going to put a <laughs> put a flaw in the Death Star. I'm, 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 I got my eye on you. Exactly. All right. Well, anyways, this has been our review of Raya and the Last Dragon. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I thought this was awesome. And uh, I, I like the uh, the pressure of being on the mic on on Twitch, man. You know, it's yeah, it's there forever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's my plug. Can I do my plug? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, What do you want to plug here? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we've, we've been doing the podcast. Uh, you know, you'll edit for yours and then, uh, but we have been doing it live on twitch.tv slash alsican, which is A-L-S-I-K-K-A-N. So come follow me there and at alsican TV on Twitter. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when I release new episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash moviemarapod. That's movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to our podcast via email by contacting moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast online at evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners or wherever you listen to podcasts. So please subscribe or write a review if you like the podcast, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next time when I'm joined by my friend Ian Anderson to review the Snyder Cut of Justice League. That Ooh. should be quite the conversation. Chris, are you a, a Snyder head, or dare uh, I say, are you reasonable? <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely not a Snyder head. Okay. I, I took a gamble there. I didn't want to piss you off. Um, no. but um, I'm fascinated by the Snyder the Snyder. Uh, uh, what was it? I don't know what you'd say. The Snyder fans, the Snyder verse, <laughs> the Snyder realm. Definitely yeah. fascinated by it. But, you know, I don't I don't dislike those movies either. Like, okay. I, I, I like them enough, um, but I am 100 percent not like a super fan. And I feel like I just don't have like anything in that fight. Like, I I don't really have like, if you give me a good movie, I'm, I'm happy about it. But, uh, you know, if you give me a bad one, I'll forget it and I can move on very quickly. Well, I can't offer you a good movie but I can offer you a four hour movie. Yeah. I'm going to strap in. I'm going to, I'm going to order out. I'm going to strap in. I'm going to be like, I'm going to pay attention to the Snyder cut all for all four hours when it comes up. I feel like there's, there's something more to it. You know, at this point, it's like, even if I wasn't interested before, you know, they got me. I have to watch it for like research or something. Yeah. That's, that's how I'm feeling. Um, Even if it's terrible for four hours, we're going to have a fun conversation about it. Me and Ian are, probably going to go to town on it so if if that's your type of thing stay tuned for that 
Until then, remember that life's a marathon, so let's take it one movie at a time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.